0: Cutting off our nose to spite our face. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com, and at Houston Chronicle.com we find Ace Reporter Jeremy Wallace, who is fresh off the road. You were on the road again. Yes, Danny, as Willie would say.
1: Yeah, but taking a break, you know, in between trips, you know, San Antonio yesterday, you know, maybe tomorrow Houston, you know, who knows?
0: You don't know because it really does feel. And you tweeted a version of this. It feels like campaign season, right? Because it's happening all over the place Um, after the primary has concluded, and there are some runoffs, and we'll talk about that at some point. But once the primaries are over for the big offices like governor, you think they kind of take off for a little while. That's the way it used to happen, right? There was some break. But there is no break anymore. Am I? Am I wrong?
1: No, you're correct. And you get this: we're 200 days away from election day right now. Mm-hmm. So it's like if if the campaigns don't have a plan right now, you know, for November, mm-hmm. bad news. You know, you better know <laughs> right. what you're doing. Uh,
0: well, it, it certainly seems like they are, you know, just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. And, and on both sides, in, in, to, you know, to some degree, uh, one of the candidates for governor of course has the full weight and might of the state of texas uh, on his side uh, and being used in his campaign quite aggressively i would say um and i do agree and said a version of this before that this uh this border stuff that abbott is doing is a political stunt and several stunts all rolled together we talked about on our last show which we did take last week off and i saw some people saying hey please would you would you guys please do a, uh, what they were calling an emergency podcast. And I said, no, we're taking off. It was a holiday. It was Easter weekend. People can go for one week without a podcast, but it is kind of like crack for people who love Texas politics. <laughs> Jeremy, you know that about this show. Um, the fact is that what Abbott was doing with the, uh, buses of migrants going to DC, that's just sort of uh window dressing stunt. Right. And I think we have another bus showing up, later today or tomorrow or something. He keeps he keeps putting out press releases about all the buses that are showing up in D.C., but the substantive stunt, if that's a thing, is the increase in the uh, inspections of commercial vehicles coming into Texas from Mexico on all of the border bridges over the Rio Grande. And we had not really gotten into that on the last show, and people were begging us to talk about it. So, dear listener, you ask and you receive. We're going to talk about it at some length here. Now, Abbott says that all of what's happening is historic in nature because he is signing these what are called MOUs, memorandums of understanding, with governors from states in Mexico to step up border security on the
2: other side of the river. I've met with governors from border states in Mexico uh, to reach agreements where those governors in Mexico will be uh, securing the border to reduce cross-border immigration into the state of Texas. If you think about it, in the past two days alone, I've done more than what the Biden administration has done in the past 15 months to address border security.
0: Now, what was done on border security isn't quite clear. Did you read those uh, agreements that Abbott signed? Yes, they the are very simple agreements. <laughs> it's very simple and very vague, right? It just says yes. they're going to do more on border security, right? It doesn't spell out anything different that they're going to do. Uh, seems like a lot of window dressing, um, on, you know, as far as that's concerned. But there are real consequences to this. Here are the headlines that we see now uh, over the last couple of weeks, and some of the economic consequences are becoming more clear. Uh, we knew that we were talking about hundreds of millions of dollars per day per bridge right as as you look at the trucks that are coming from mexico and people got sort of uh, hung up on the produce part of it you know what people would see in their grocery stores or not see in the stores Uh, but there are other things as well that come across that border like televisions car parts for manufacturing all that sort of stuff we're talking billions of dollars here's one uh, headline this week analyst says that Texas Governor Abbott's border snarls cost billions in GDP. We're talking about the gross domestic product of the United States, Jeremy, being impacted by what Abbott did. Why is he doing all this? Well, do you remember during the primary, and this goes back to late last year into early this year, when Don Huffines, who was running against Abbott, and you've made this point on social media, basically Huffines had said a version of what's happening. Yeah, he had said, I will shut down the border bridges and said on WFAA television, which we played the audio of it here on the show last year, Huffines had said if there are economic consequences, even if it hurts the state of Texas, he would do it anyway. Well, Abbott's doing it anyway. At that time, the number one Fox News host, Tucker Carlson, was threatening Abbott with a few things, including hosting Don Huffines on his number one rated show. This is how that sounded. This has been going on for months, and we've asked
3: Texas Governor Greg Abbott many times to come on this show to explain why he hasn't called the National Guard to seal the Texas border and protect the rest of us from this invasion.
0: Greg Abbott has refused to come on repeatedly. So pretty soon, possibly tomorrow, we plan to invite his primary opponents on this show to describe what they would do if they ran Texas. That might be an interesting conversation. We'd like to give Governor Abbott one more chance to come on. Sincerely, please. Come on and tell us how you plan to save the rest of us from what is happening in your state. With all that happening, Jeremy, I would have maybe thought, and we talked about it at the time, that Huffines and Alan West and Entertainer, and I'm using Entertainer loosely, Chad Prather, that they might have mounted a you know a more serious challenge to Abbott. But Abbott won the primary pretty handily, right? Sixty-six yep. percent against three challengers, and all of them wanted some version of what Huffines was talking about, which is more militarization on the border, shutting down of the border. And this is what Abbott's actually doing through these stepped-up inspections of 18-wheelers. Now, we all got higher prices, increased inflation, a big blow to the Texas and American economy. But what Abbott got out of it was his spot on Tucker's show. Governor, thanks for coming on.
2: My pleasure, Tucker. So what we have done is uh, we implemented uh, what we call enhanced safety inspections of every commercial vehicle coming across the border uh, of every border uh, crossing from Mexico into the state of Texas. Uh, And it had the predictable result. Uh, And that is uh, is snarled traffic for miles in Mexico, uh, basically crashing uh, economic conditions in these states as well as in the country of Mexico and having severe uh, economic consequences for businesses in Mexico. And the predictable result uh, is that these governors of uh, states that are connected to the state of Texas uh, would be knocking on our door uh, begging for relief. And as they beg for relief, we are demanding uh, that they implement security measures that will reduce illegal immigration coming across their border.
0: Jeremy, part of that caught your ear, I know. When he was saying that those governors from Mexico had to come and beg him for relief, those were the same people who were sitting with him smiling during press conferences for the last week and a half
1: yeah it kind of felt like he was kind of throwing shade on them even after they had they had come to Texas to kind of work out these arraignments so so Abbott kind of looks like he was kind of being a little bit of a puppet master. you know he kind of said this there was gonna be financial pain, but it forced them to listen to him and right. forced them to come to him and then he you know he was, didn't stop there. It's like he said you know the pressure he was applying by doing all this economic damage even to us was to make sure the Mexican government, including the president of Mexico, start you know, dealing with him more directly. Which, of course, you know, you know, Abbott does not have the authority to deal with international relations, so to speak, right? You know, he's not right. – you know, he can't strike treaties with other governments. No. And so exactly. these arrangements he has right now with these guys are all non-binding. None of these are like you – know, the, the, the governor of Texas cannot strike treaties with Mexico. It right. hasn't been allowable since 1845. It's like it's actually been <laughs> it, against the, you know, the role of the governor it's <laughs> to against do the something law. like you this. Can't do
0: that. I, I know some people don't like this uh, this phrase, but the governor can't do that. Full stop. And the other thing that is remarkable about what he said to Tucker Carlson, you heard how he kept saying that this economic sort of chaos and fallout was really hitting Mexico hard, but yeah. he acted as if there was no. Uh, problem no consequence for texas and for the united states and because he said that i'll read these numbers to you texas lost an estimated 4.23 billion dollars in gdp according to one economic firm Uh, the dallas morning news was first to report that texas lost an estimated 477 million dollars per day per day During the slowdown. So it wasn't just a problem on the Mexican side of the border. Jeremy, as I said at the very beginning of the show, it's cutting off our nose to spite our face.
1: Well, and here and, and here is a lot to unpack with this stuff. That people like, you know, if you if you just listen to national news, you're not going to understand the differences and the issues here. Uh, you know, I've been to all these border communities. Each one is very different. You can't, you know, conflate El Paso with Laredo with you know, you know, far Texas. They're not mm-hmm. all the same. They all have different things coming and doing you know, happening with the trucking. But the one thing that is common is that in, in a place like Laredo, you have a lot of those truckers who live. You know, in and around Laredo. There are warehouses that are in and around Laredo. It's like that drop off that stuff and then other truckers take it to the rest of the country. And so there's a lot of employment and a lot of jobs related to this around those areas. And what strikes me about this is like Abbott is making such a push to kind of win the you know, border counties. Like he wants to do better in those areas, but he's just done something that literally took paychecks off of you know, out of these guys, you know, these guys Mm -hmm. get paid by the truckload they bring back over from Mexico. They don't get paid hourly. So if they're stuck on the bridge for eight hours and can only get one load in, they only get one check that day instead of the four they normally could have gotten. So he literally took, you know, three checks away from truck drivers who live in and around that area, you know, and he did that in all those different border crossings. And so the impact on that on like on regular workers like you know, the people who keep this, you know, state going, quite honestly, the you know, yeah. people who do all the trucking. It's like those are the guys who got hurt most in this thing. Forget right. Mexico, forget mm-hmm. you know, Texas. It's those guys who lost paychecks who now like how do you feed your family if you were counting on four checks and now you only got one?
0: I don't Uh, quite understand uh, how that works. Right. Uh, On one of my first trips to Laredo as a reporter, uh, you know, years ago, I'm thinking uh, about 15 years ago, something like that. uh, And seeing just a sea of uh, the the tractors without the trailers, just the semi-tractor sitting in the Walmart parking lots, waiting for the trailers to come over, uh, being pulled by the Mexican truckers so that they could get the trailer and head on with it. Um, It's, it's amazing. The, the, the real world, and you know, forgive the expression, rubber meeting the road on this deal. The real world consequences are felt right there. To your point, right there, where Republicans are trying to open up a new front in uh, in Texas, where they want to win, yeah. uh, you know, more territory.
1: Yeah, and the damage, the damage to the Texas economy just isn't, isn't like across the whole state. It, it's hitting the areas south of San Antonio far worse than – the guy in Dallas may never feel any of this. And so it's fine for the, the conservative Republicans to be you know, throwing those verbal bombs at you know, everything on the border. Great. But there's a real-life consequences to people who really do – would might be interested in your message if you just didn't cost them a lot of money. It's like, you know, it's like I, you know, if I were a trucker coming back and forth across that border and lived in Laredo, mm-hmm. I'd be like, what the hell? It's like, really? I'm, I've i lost for a week. I lost three paychecks a day. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? It's like, how is that
0: possible? Now, Beto O'Rourke headed down to the International Bridge in Laredo to check out what was going on.
3: Behind me, if, if you can see it, are trucks that are lined up as far as we can see that have within them the things that we want in this country, um, the cars, the televisions, um, the food, the produce, the, the things that we expect to see in our stores, in on the shelves of our supermarkets, um, the things that we depend upon to make sure that we can live our lives.
0: And he pointed out that what the state troopers are doing there on the orders of Abbott don't really have anything to do with Abbott's stated purpose, which is to try to find undocumented immigrants
3: and drugs like fentanyl. And this backup that you see that's been going on now for almost a week is not just a function of being on the border. Um, It has a lot to do, in fact, it has everything to do with the governor of the state of Texas, Greg Abbott, who has mandated an an inspection for each one of these trucks coming north into the United States by the Department of Public Safety, those are the state troopers, to supposedly increase security at the border. But all those troopers can do is look at the tire pressure. Um, They can look at how um, the, the engine of that truck is running. They can perform a safety inspection on the vehicle itself but they're unable to actually look at the cargo to see if there's any trafficking of illegal drugs or human beings for that matter. So it's a political stunt. Abbott has pointed
0: out that 25% of the trucks that were inspected by DPS during this operation were found to be unsafe for Texas roads. And so they pulled them off the road. I would note that, that maybe that's a good thing because Abbott himself, signed a law last year to make it harder to file a lawsuit if one of those trucks runs you over. Now, while uh, Abbott was uh, on Fox News Channel, Beto, of course, was invited to be on MSNBC.
3: There's only one person that this helped, and that was Greg Abbott politically in the short term on one cable network. For everyone else, this has been terrible. It's sending prices through the roof, spiking inflation even higher in the state of Texas causing massive supply chain problems. So it's the produce that you talked about, two thirds of the fresh produce that we consume in Texas comes from Mexico. And over the last week, it has literally been rotting in the backs of those trucks. So this weekend, when we go to the supermarket, there is not going to be anything on the shelves in the produce section. Now, Abbott must
0: be listening to some of what Beto is saying because he feels like he needs to respond and respond publicly and, you know, in, you know, with, with a lot of fanfare, right? So you were in San Antonio yesterday where Abbott was talking and here's part of what Abbott said, and then we'll get the rest of the story from you,
2: Jeremy. Texans deserve safe communities, whether it's on the border, whether it's in San Antonio, whether it's in the panel, it does not matter. Safety in your communities is of paramount importance in Texas. Safe communities is a Texas value. Safe communities need law enforcement officers to help keep those communities safe. Law enforcement officers like those here today.
0: So Jeremy, he's uh, saying that, look, if you're in Dallas-Fort Worth, Abilene, Houston, in the Central Texas area, wherever, Border security matters to you, and I would say uh, that it certainly matters to Republican primary voters. It certainly matters to base Republicans, the people who are the most reliable uh, Republican voters, and messages about dangers of the border seem to resonate the most with Republican voters who don't live anywhere close to the border.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Well, mm-hmm. and, and we, and we, we you know, we, the reporters who were there, you know, we asked him about, like, the economic impact of that shutdown. And it's like, you know, and he keeps talking about how it hurt Mexico, Well, but mm-hmm. didn't hurt us too. His answer to us was, obviously, there are concerns about the economy, but there are even larger concerns about the unabated illegal immigration that the Biden administration is promoting. It's like, and, uh, what you're hearing there is, like, you know, the, the balancing act that's been going on in Texas, well, since our existence right you know there's a level of you know border security that can impede you know uh uh the economy mm-hmm. right and it's like and yeah. trying to figure out where those, those lines meet you know it's like it's like you can go too far and hurt the economy or you can go too far pro-economy like we were doing at one point you know it's like just you know the the, the work programs were clearly not, you know, managed very closely. And anybody mm-hmm. and their brother was coming over, right? As like and So you're, you're trying to find that that line of like, where is it? And the Democrats look like they had messed up that line. You know, you know, Biden's been suffering, you know, mm-hmm. with, in the polls. It looks like they're losing that fight. But I keep thinking, did Abbott just take the line too far the other way now? Where just like where there's a real world impact financially, you know, on a lot of people who. Like live in South Texas, who are sitting there going, "Look, I was okay with the governor's talk on this stuff, but you know when it starts hitting us, it just becomes a different thing." So he, so he definitely addressed that in this meeting yesterday. But it's just like you just wonder, like, at what line does he get to, and why is he working so hard, you know, for? Republican hardcore votes. You know, you know this. there's a big reason right. for this, right? Yes. And we've talked about this on the show before. Yeah, it's a primary mm-hmm. issue, right? Well, why would he do this? Well, he needs a passionate base to turn out in November for him. Sure. You know, yep. Beto O'Rourke is going to do better with independence than Lupe Valdez did, you know, four years ago. Yeah, it's Thank like and so and so he like he, yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a, a yeah, right. yeah I'm I'm going on a limb there <laughs> people yeah
0: people might have heard of Beto O'Rourke That's exactly
1: awesome. and so he's going to do better in some of the suburban areas you know Abbott's going to see a little you know wash away from that and what what he needs to do he needs to balance that off with like the fire breathing Trump supporters make sure that they're with him and they haven't always been with them. We talked about it in the primary. Yeah, he won his primary handily, mm-hmm. but he had some depressed numbers in places like Montgomery County and Collin right. County where there are fire-breathing Trump Republicans who still aren't on board with Greg Abbott. He needs them on board. He can't afford them to skip the race or vote for the Libertarian. He needs right. every one of those votes if Beto O'Rourke comes anywhere close to producing the turnout he's done in the past. Now, granted... That's a big if. Can Beto do that? But if you're Abbott and you're Abbott's team, you don't want to risk that. So your best bet is to get your face on Tucker Carlson and Mm -hmm. Sean Hannity as much as you can to talk about border control. And what did he do? He got both of those. He got Mm -hmm. both the time on Hannity and the time on Tucker Carlson. And Tucker Carlson even said, oh, a promising idea. To get that from (laughs) Tucker Carlson for Greg Abbott is like he can build a whole campaign about it. Like, you know, there's going to be some ad. Even Tucker Carlson says, my ideas are promising.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like how, but Tucker still won't say, you know, thank you so much. You're doing such a great job. He 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 holds back. He says, yeah. um, it's, it's a promising idea. We'll see where this uh, goes. And of course, if you are uh, someone who is a statewide office holder in Texas, you can't be on Fox News enough.
1: No, absolutely not. Well, it, it was funny watching that interview too. Uh, you know, it's almost as if you know, Tucker Carlson introduced them, then Abbott spoke for three minutes, and then it was done. There was no back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's like it was like it, it, you know, it was a weird interview because it was just like you know, welcome aboard, governor. The governor goes right into his speech. It's like a soliloquy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then it ends, and you know, thanks a lot. You know, it's a promising idea. Three <laughs> minutes are done, or four minutes it's- are done.
0: It's almost like the rest of us are props in Abbott's movie, and Abbott is a bit player in Tucker Carlson's movie. Yeah. Now, you can't be on Fox News enough. In fact, let us uh, I think the governor needs a little bit more backup, so let me turn on Fox News Channel. That's where we find Texas correspondent for Fox, Dan Patrick. We haven't heard from the little governor in a while, uh, and he was saying, to your point about border control, Jeremy, he was saying, you know what? People do not even understand just how big the Texas-Mexico border is.
3: I want to paint a picture for everyone in America to understand the numbers because we have 1,254 miles of border with Mexico in Texas. To put that in perspective, that's Boston to Jacksonville, Florida. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to protect, and they're not letting us protect it. You can also see why. Uh, I said last week on Fox, made a lot of news that, By the end of the Biden administration, about 20 percent potentially of all people living in America will be here illegally. If you look at the border statistics from 1990 through 2021 and project out the Biden administration, will be nearly 60 million people here illegally. That's we cannot
0: be invaded at that scale. That would be um, double the number of people who live in Texas total right? We think the estimates um, on how many undocumented people live in Texas, for for example, in the Houston area, it's something like between 600,000 to 750,000. All of the numbers I see for Texas, Jeremy, have hovered between 2 million and 4 million, something like that, depending on you know what what's going on right at that time we've talked in the past about uh texas previously having more of an elastic workforce meaning what you know when there's work for people they would come from mexico and when there's not work they would just go back making it difficult for them to be a drain on society at all uh, although as you know and have noted because of the increased border security folks just come here and and then never go back because the trip is so um is so daunting uh but to say that we're going to have, 20, what did he say, 20% of the people in the United States are going to be illegal immigrants, in his words, um, by the end of the first ter- uh, term in office uh, for Biden. Seems like he's getting a little out over his skis here. And as we've talked about many a time on the show, when you talk about the figures, uh, you know, the the figures, the the, the numbers on these uh, these border crossings, it's easy for people to spin it however they want, right? If, if if apprehensions are way up, well, they'll say, look at this crisis. We've got so many people coming in. If the apprehensions are low, they'll say, well, we, obviously we need more resources because we're not catching enough people, right? Um, and so to your point about getting the Republican base amped up, I do think that it, you know, it has some bearing on what happens in the uh, governor's race, but as a friend of mine in Houston likes to say, some of these folks don't live in Texas or in Florida. Yeah. They live on Fox News Channel. But why do they live on Fox News Channel? Because the presidential primary for 2024 is already playing out there. And I'm yep. going to go here on the show because people ask this question all the time. Is Abbott running for president? I don't know. But his actions over the last two weeks, his actions since winning the primary, tell me that he's at least leaning toward it. Because you know that the the window for making a decision on that is closing quickly. Uh, yeah, there are already some of these candidates who are making moves, like Ron DeSantis in Florida, and Ted Cruz has said that he's running. Essentially, um, people showing up in places like Iowa and New Hampshire, and as soon as the November election is done, that'll be like the starting gun for people like Greg Abbott. If he's yes. going to run for president, he will be headed to Nashua, right? He will be he will yep. be headed to Des Moines. Um, if he's going to do that, he's got to get going, and then he's got to start fundraising as a presidential level.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like it, 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 you have almost no time to think. You think about that Democratic primary uh, that last time around. Beto O'Rourke comes out of his you know 2018 race, and he had you know a full like two months to think about whether or not he wanted to run or not, and off he went. You know, just like and so in this case, you know, you're going to get to November, and Abbott, if he has any interest in you know running for the you know the presidency. Like he's going to start getting to know the folks in Iowa. How does this thing work? Uh, And how wild would it be to have Greg Abbott and Ted Cruz in the same primary field, right? You know, two guys who have an an allegiance with each other. You know, know, Abbott hired, you know, Ted Cruz essentially at one point, Mm -hmm. you know, when he was the attorney general and, you know, needed a solicitor general. Uh, And it would be just interesting politics to watch those guys maybe have to go at each other. Somewhere in a cornfield in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, Iowa. I know there's more than cornfields
0: there. <laughs> well, there's not much more. <laughs> I've been to Iowa. Actually, yes, there's Moines, a lot of cornfields is, for sure. Des Moines is a nice place and they have some great steakhouses. I will say that. Um, Beto would like to talk about things other than the border as well. I, I think on the border issues that have come up over the last couple of weeks, you have the O'Rourke campaign in position to start making some overtures to Texas business interests which I believe that they are probably doing. Um, I also think that Beto's trying to expand the, and we've talked a little bit about this. He's trying to expand the, uh, you know, the, the lens a little bit and, and look out over who might be potential democratic voters in a way that some Democrats in the past have not done. So case in point, Beto had a uh, press conference in Dallas. I think it was right in Dallas proper uh, earlier this week. And among other things, He wanted to talk about property taxes which over the last 15 or 20 years in uh, texas jeremy when i had when i would hear somebody try to lead the charge on property taxes it was always the last guy we just heard from dan patrick you know he was always railing about property taxes and one of the reasons for that get down into the politics of property taxes you know if you go back you know over the last 10 20 30 years in electoral politics in texas some folks and some consultants would think of it this way that people who live in homes tend to be republicans and people who are renters would tend to be democrats depending on where you're looking at and what city and what suburb and everything but in the texas suburbs now because they continue to grow at an exponential rate you know people keep moving here a thousand people every day you know governor perry used to brag about how and i think abbott has done this too would brag about how a u-haul from california to texas it was more expensive than one from Texas to California because yeah. people – because the demand for moving to Texas is so great. I think those figures are probably still about the same. Um, but anyway, Beto wants to expand right the audience for this property tax argument in the suburbs – Primarily, I would think, because as they continue to grow and diversify, not just ethnically but also uh, ideologically and and in partisan fashion, um, in bipartisan fashion, you've got you know all these Democrats and and look, there were Republican block walkers in twenty twenty, people who were going to places like Collin County, Denton County, Fort Bend County, and all these rapidly uh, changing neighborhoods, and they would say they were knocking on the doors of people they've never seen before, uh, you know people folks who. Um, folks who might be open to voting for Republicans, but they would have to convince them to not vote for Democrats. That wasn't the case previously in those areas that I mentioned. Now, Beto was talking about, in his you know in his estimation, that Abbott's administration has led to
3: higher property taxes all over Texas. In the seven years that he's been governor, property taxes have gone up $20 billion dollars, in the state of Texas. That's an increase of 40% over where we were when he first began.
0: Again, the politics of this are, and the politics and policy are difficult. First of all, if you want to bring down property taxes in Texas, good luck. What we have right now, we have, Jeremy, we have an embarrassment of riches. Right here in Austin, you see people tweeting about it and putting it on their Facebook pages and wherever else, that they just got their appraisal right, for their home. And the numbers are going through the roof. People are seeing their valuations of their homes rise so quickly. Um, and they're angry about that, not because their home has increased in value. You want that, right? It's it's for, for, for any person, it's your main asset. It's the biggest purchase you've made as your home. You don't want it to go down in value. You want it to go up, right? But at the yep. same time, they're angry because that will mean their property tax bill will be bigger regardless of, and this is the key, regardless of the rate that was set by the local governments, because the appraisal went up, they're being taxed on an asset that has grown in value, right? So how do you fix that? Well, you would have to have a complete revamp of the way that government is funded in Texas. And even going back to the big property tax session in 2019, no one really wanted to talk about that, right? What they did instead was they took a surplus of at the time, what was it, 3 or $4 billion. It all runs together in my head now. But they took a surplus and sought to buy down property taxes. They sought to cap uh, revenues for local governments, but they didn't cap appraisals, right? And that that conversation has not really been a real one at the Texas Capitol. I don't know if it ever will be. Uh, I, I do remember that appraisals used to be something that Lieutenant Governor Patrick would rail about, but then at some point he stopped and I'm not, I'm not sure why that was, but here's the deal with Republican leadership in this state. They have ridden the anger Abbott and Patrick in particular have ridden the anger over that issue, right up to some of the top offices in the state, Lieutenant governor's office, the governor's office. Um, and they said that they were fixing it in 2019, but Beto's not wrong. People's bills are still going up right now. Abbott's campaign will say, hey, because of the reforms that we did in 2019, people's property taxes went up less than they otherwise would have if we didn't pass those things. And as you have said, Jeremy, you said a version of this uh, in the pre-show as we were getting started here earlier uh, this morning. (laughs) It's hard to make an argument to a taxpayer that, hey, we we saved you imaginary money, but your bill might have gone up this much more if we hadn't done that stuff. But to an average person, hey, if my bill is more this year than it was last year, then my tax bill went up, period. Yeah.
1: Yeah, if, if I told my buddies in Holotis who just got their tax bill, you know, that they should be happy cuz it could be higher, they would punch me in the face. <laughs> it's like and, and that should be a lesson for like everybody out there. It's like the Republicans are in a bad spot here. It's like, you know, like Dan Patrick and Greg Abbott have really tried to work on this issue. I have no doubt that they wanted to bring down property taxes for people. But the thing is, nobody's feeling that. It's like you get your bill – you get your assessment right now. You know a tax increase is coming. It's like there's nothing that these guys have been able to do over these last seven years to bring that down. And for them to come out and say, we've cut your taxes, it's like – that it, there, it, there's this huge disconnect. It's like, right. it, it, you know, you know, Rick Perry had this problem when he was governor too. He was telling us how our taxes were going to drop, you know, and it didn't happen. And it's like, and, and you, you just keep having this problem in Texas. What these guys are doing, they're doing stuff. It's a very complicated system. Like you said, you know, cutting property taxes in Texas is really hard work to do. And I give these guys credit for trying to find a way to do it, mm-hmm. but it just hasn't been successful enough to avoid somebody from getting an extra thousand dollars on their tax bill in places like san antonio and houston and you know austin this is it's not these aren't mansions you know these are people who have like normal homes who are mm-hmm. like looking at the tax bill and going, another thousand bucks really it's like if you look at other states like having had the experience of living in florida mm-hmm. it's like the tax bill might go up a hundred dollars a year as it's like they're not going up a thousand dollars a year because they put in so many like buffers in there to prevent that from happening. Right. Texas hasn't had that happen yet. I'm not sure why. It's like you know someday well, I'll figure this out.
0: <laughs> I think they have to take a really hard look at the various revenue streams that we have for state government. It's sales taxes. That's that's yep. the number one uh, revenue stream for for the state. The property taxes, of course, are collected and spent locally, uh, where you have uh, the school districts, which is the the, the ISDs, that's your biggest chunk of your tax. Absolutely. It's much more than 60%, right? You have uh, the cities and counties which collect uh, property taxes as well to fund local government. Um, When you start to talk about other ways to fund government, that's where you get into real controversy. So what could you do instead? You could, uh, here's the thing. Fundamentally, and I know liberals and conservatives who agree with what I'm about to say. Fundamentally, it's unfair to pay for something that you own in perpetuity, right? Even if you paid off your house, you never really own it because the gov- you still have to make payments to the government for that asset, right? That's property taxes. And people will say that's not fair. I've got some, of, some people I know who are the most liberal would say they don't agree with that. And then, of course, there are people like Dan Patrick who say that they don't agree with that either, right? So what could you do instead? You could touch the third rail, one of the third rails around here, which is you could say, well, what if we did an income tax instead? Well, no, you do not even hear Democrats in Texas say anything about that, right? That yep. and uh, The late, great Wayne Slater, I think he was the first one I heard use this line. He said something like, we will have casinos and Baptist churches before we have an income tax in Texas. So that's the level of opposition you're looking yep. at now. Yep. Now, on those other things, like casinos and like sports betting and like legalization of marijuana, those are the kinds of – not in Baptist churches, but those are the kind of things that Beto was talking about in Dallas, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, was a, yeah he had a press conference there where, like, it, you know, it focused on – you know, property taxes, and well, well, how do you bring that down? And he started talking about other revenue streams. And by talking about, two that we know the governor has been against, you know, and Lieutenant Governor has said, you know, particularly for casino gambling, it was dead on arrival, you know, it's like you had no chance, you know, in the last legislative session. But, you know, Beto says, you know, uh, he's now in support of, or he, I can't remember exactly the phrase he used for, it, but he, he, he tends to support the idea of expanded gaming and you know sports betting uh he's definitely for legalization marijuana and using the Mm -hmm. the revenues from that all that revenue from those entities could help you know to at least take some of the pressure off of property Mm -hmm. taxes at least in his estimation again who knows if that would really happen because it's such a complex system um but you know that's a big change you know like i i think you know if he can make that case a little bit clearer to mm-hmm. People like the, the people who are driving from Houston over to Louisiana, the people who are you know heading from DFW up to Oklahoma for the casinos in both those cases. Or if don't you can forget kind of that sp- every speak one, to one of those, those people,
0: yeah, I was gonna say, don't forget every one of those cities has a direct flight to Nevada like yeah. four times, a <laughs> direct flight to Vegas, uh, four times or five times a day, something like that. But Absolutely, they, they of- love Texans in Clark County, Nevada.
1: Absolutely. Well, and and we, you know, and, and well, and the way you know, Beto was speaking about it remind me of kind of what some of the Republicans were arguing in the last legislative session. Like right now, people are able to gamble in all of the surrounding states now, you know, mm-hmm. and so. Every one of them. Yeah, it's like, you know, New Mexico now has it, you know, uh, Oklahoma and Louisiana have had casinos. It's Mm-mm. like, we have no casinos, you know, it's like, and that's a bipartisan attraction piece, right? You know, talk to the folks in Connecticut, that it worked yeah. for them. You know, yeah. it's says like, there's always like, you know, a gaming option for Texans to go to, but nothing yeah. here, really, oh, except yeah, for, yeah. of course, the one Kickapoo tribe uh, casino down in Eagle Pass
0: down in Eagle Pass um, I uh, I remember seeing a report at one time I'm trying to remember when this was several years back the casino the big casino in um, which city is it? it's uh, the Windstar Casino Durant is where the Choctaw Casino is the other one in Thackerville I got it Thackerville Oklahoma the one in Thackerville at one point was like the third or fourth biggest grossing casino on earth. And when you would drive there, if you go to the parking lot, it is all Texas license plates. Yeah. Right? It's all of Dallas Fort Worth driving up there on the weekend. You know, and uh, imagine to play on slots that are really bingo machines.
1: Yeah. One of the things we talked about in the last session like, imagine if Tillman Fertita were able to have a casino in Galveston, Mm -hmm. you know, near Houston. So you have all the activities in Houston, you have casinos. You know, uh, you know, nearly Mm -hmm. on the water. You you have a lot of things you could sell as a resort destination for gaming uh, that would be really, you know, a big dollar amount. The casino guys love the idea. (laughs) They all want in on that market. Uh, And to this point, you know, we have two major problems. You know, uh, obviously I mentioned Governor Abbott hasn't been supportive of it, but it's in the state constitution that we can't Mm -hmm. expand gaming. So, there's a huge hurdle to get over. And then the Republican platform specifically says we can't have expanded gaming as well. Mm-hmm. And so, if you go against the platform, you're at risk of being censured by Republicans who are still mm-hmm. gambling's bad, you know, don't say no, just say no to drugs, all that kind of stuff. All They're of from that. a different era. So, it's like a lot of hurdles to overcome there.
0: Yeah. Uh, the constitutional amendment process, by the way, is so interesting on, on that issue. And, um, uh, the polling shows overwhelmingly Texans are for it, right? It, the the issue is in the Texas Capitol. It it's literally stuck in the building yep. because to get it to a vote of the people who would support it by north of 65 percent, but based on everything I've seen, it's probably even higher than that now. I, I remember seeing some polling showing that people supported some form of casino gambling in Texas by at least about 70 percent, but the people can't even vote on it until – two-thirds of the the House and Senate in Austin have decided to send it to the people. And interestingly, yeah. the constitutional amendment process, this is on purpose, it omits the governor. The governor does not do anything, right? He can't veto it. He can't do it. It goes straight from the House and Senate to the people for a vote, and that's it. Um, this is, and, you know, not that I want to light a cigar and go try my luck in in Galveston. Did you see this in Houston? Dr. Steve Hotze who has been, how do I describe Dr. Hotze an arch conservative <laughs> mega donor, uh, to Republican candidates, including the governor, the Lieutenant governor, um, various members of the Texas House and Senate and local candidates, judicial candidates in, uh, in Houston. Um, he was indicted this week. I just, I just attended an event, uh, hosted by Dr. Hotze a few weeks ago in Houston, uh, where he, uh, was featuring, the My Pillow guy, yep, Mike <laughs> Lindell, uh, and and Lindell was there to tell this crowd of about five hundred people in Houston at a ballroom downtown about his election uh, conspiracy theories. The kind I'll just say it this way: Doctor Hotez and Mike Lindell share the same concerns that, when articulated on television, get you kicked off of even Newsmax. Yeah, that you can't be on Fox News Channel or Newsmax, I think OANN is the only one that will even entertain his uh, his ravings anymore, his rantings anymore. Well, Dr. Hotsey was um, indicted in connection with, did you see this, a violent attempt to prove voter fraud that happened last year. Um, what happened was, and this is how it was reported by NPR at the time in Houston, an ex-captain in the Houston Police Department was arrested Uh, back in December, arrested for allegedly running a man off the road and assaulting him in an attempt to prove a bizarre voter fraud conspiracy pushed by a right-wing organization. The suspect, Mark Anthony Aguirre, told police he was part of a private citizen's investigation of claims of the, quote, massive voter fraud allegedly funded by the CEO of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. Are you still with me? Down this rabbit hole? (laughs) And it involved election ballots forged by Hispanic children. I I wish I was (laughs) making this up. This guy said that the plot was underway in Harris County, Texas, and it started before the elections on November 3rd. And what he, what he ended up doing was running this guy off the road. And the allegation is that he, the truck driver who he accused of having fraudulent ballots forged by Hispanic children, in this truck, that he held this truck driver at gunpoint because he was accusing the truck driver of some election fraud. It turned out the truck was just carrying uh, refrigeration equipment. Yeah. no yeah, it's just an, it was just
1: an air conditioning guy. It was like yeah, the it was Houston Chronicle HVAC ended up dude. reporting on this guy, you know, quite a bit. It's just like uh-huh. it's just, it, all of it was like bizarre,
0: crazy, bizarre. Let me help you understand the mind of Steve Hotez. He has been on the warpath for one social conservative agenda item after another since the 1970s here in Austin. His first activism, did you know this Jeremy? Dr. Hoetze, his first activism in Austin was when the Austin City Council passed a resolution and passed an ordinance that uh, basically uh, outlawed discrimination against homosexuals in renting because there were people who just would not rent to anyone who was gay. And Hoetze was, you know, gathering petitions and trying to get them to overturn that. They basically ran Dr. Hotsey out of Austin. He ended up in Houston, where the main way that he makes money is hormone therapies for women. Um, He also, you remember during the Black Lives Matter protest, he called the, and here's why this matters. This is the kind of activist who has the cell phone number of the chief of staff of the governor of Texas, right? I mean, he has that kind of access. I'm not exaggerating here, but let me play for you a voicemail. This was left during the Black Lives Matter protests that were unfolding in Houston and Dallas and all over the country. And Steve Hotsey wanted to have the chief of staff to the governor tell the governor to kill those people if they started rioting in Houston.
2: Hey, Louise, this is Dr. Hoetze, Steve Hotsey in Houston. I want you to give a message to the governor. I want to make sure that he has National Guard down here, and they have the order to shoot to kill. If any of these son of a bitch people start rioting like they have in Dallas, start tearing down businesses, shoot to kill the son of a bitches. That's the only way you restore order. Kill them.
0: Now, Dr. Hotze, uh, as I mentioned, has been very active in the Republican Party for decades, and he was one of the key figures pushing Lieutenant Governor Patrick to uh, push the bathroom bill back in 2017 after they had, and all of this stuff ebbs and flows, Jeremy, and we'll see what happens with this indictment. Everybody's, uh, you know, innocent until proven guilty. The allegation of course, is that uh, that Hoetze paid that HPD officer, a former HPD officer to, uh, to investigate election fraud. And that led to that, that violent incident. Um, Hoetze, back in, I think in 2016, I attended, and I attend a lot of these events with Steve Hoetze. At one event, he drew a sword from a scabbard on stage and said that the gays should be driven out of Houston and they should all go back to San Francisco, or that they should go to San Francisco. He was kind of saying they should go back to San Francisco. Leave it, drive them out of our city, is what he said on stage. At uh, at an event I uh, attended in 2016, Dr. Hotze said, and of course, this was the year after the Supreme Court ruled that gay marriage was legal all over the United States, the Obergefell decision. You had Dr. Hotze say that after that decision, the next thing that's going to happen is Democrats are going to try to legalize pedophilia. That was at an event with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who was then going to go on and push the bathroom bill the next year in 2017. And I say all this ebbs and flows. You have Patrick who has tried to distance himself over the years from Dr. Hotsey, even though they were business partners at one point, even though uh, Hotsey has been a big supporter both, you know, vocally and financially to Lieutenant Governor Patrick. And they've tried to and you know, folks like Patrick have tried to distance themselves from Hotzi, but in the meantime, what has happened with the Republican Party? Look at what's happening in Florida where they are accusing Democrats who oppose anti-LGBTQ legislation of supporting grooming of young children, right, of of supporting pedophilia. Dr. Hoetze was saying that years ago, right? This is where the Republican base is right now. Ron DeSantis punishing Disney are trying to punish Disney with this bizarre uh, bill to shift uh, you know, the tax burden away from Disney and to local taxpayers. They're in Florida uh, because th- because Disney was against this, quote, don't say gay bill. It's um, it's where the party is now. And so yeah. and th- these folks, uh, listen, Ken Paxton was also at that event uh, a couple of weeks ago where they, they were honoring Paxton, who they say is a warrior against these voter fraud uh schemes that are happening all across the country of course there's no evidence of that but that's what that's what their claim is they trotted out a guy at that event jeremy who was uh, said to be the new head of something called the voter fraud bureau of investigation (laughs) which hoatsy was going to fund to the tune of something i don't know how much but but hoatsy was trying to raise 2.5 million dollars for voter fraud investigations by private investigators a Houston Republican this week said to me, texted me, and said, "You know, I think that event a couple of weeks ago might have just been for Legal Defense Fund, <laughs> as <laughs> uh, as Hootsy was trying to raise money." Uh, it's uh, you know, it's it's hard to wrap your mind around, but this is um, this is this is down in the weeds of what goes on with the Republican Party in this state and around the country, Jeremy. And I say there's a difference between the base of the Republican Party, and the base of the Democratic Party. What does a base of your party mean? The base of your party doesn't just mean the loudest people. It means the people who reliably show up and vote in the primaries and shape the party, right? Uh, you know, so so on the Republican side, the base is a lot of these folks like Steve Hoetze, like-minded people who think that the election in 2020 was stolen and that uh, Democrats want to uh, you know, promote grooming in schools. On the Democratic side... There are a lot of liberals for sure, but the base of the party is probably a little closer to the center. Like the base of the party in the de- for the Democrats is an older African-American woman. I'll give you an example, just an older African-American woman, maybe from a place like South Carolina, who is maybe progressive on some things, but might actually be a little bit more conservative on some other things. This is why you end up with a nominee on the Democratic side, a guy like Joe Biden, who is more of the traditional moderate Democrat. Right yeah. and in the Republican Party, I don't know that it's necessarily conservative, but it's certainly more Trumpy, in line with Trumpism, where, you know, whatever we've decided that means, and is certainly uh, more in line with these conspiracy theorists, like a guy like Mike Lindell.
1: Well, and, and, and just an interesting note on Hotsey, it's like you know, a lot of people will have forgotten about this, but in 2018, he was a really big donor. Uh, to Roy Moore, the Republican who was running for you know uh, the U.S. Senate in Alabama, oh, yeah. who ended up actually losing because he had had re- inappropriate relationships reported about him with teenagers, you know, back when he was like in his thirties, and so right. it was all kind of weird. But like, but you know, it was the the pack that you know Hotsi was using to support him was called. Our Godly Heritage Pack. No, Restore Our Godly Heritage Pack. So this is what you need. That's Hoetze in a nutshell, right? Yeah. Donating through a pack called uh, Restore Our Godly Heritage to an Alabama Republican who's so off the rails that even Alabama would not vote for the guy. That is how far right— that this I don't mean, even it can't even call it right, you know, because that I don't even think that's Republican politics. at some point, it breaks down into some kind of realm of even Republicans don't want to support this stuff, right? You know they, this right. is way too far for most Republicans.
0: this gets to the main point that I make often about Texas politics is because the way that our elections are structured, these types of candidates are the ones who can make it through a primary, right? We may see this in some of the runoffs. Ken Paxton, who I mentioned, was at that event. What was the name of that pack, by the way, that he was given to for, uh, for the Roy the, Moore campaign? The
1: Restore Our Godly Heritage Pack.
0: <laughs> the new group uh, with Dr. Hotsey is the—you'll love this. I think it's the only thing that could be more, you know, to the, more to the point than that. The Liberty Center for God and Country, Perfect. Is is what they're raising (laughs) money for. Um, If you have it, I mean, think about it on the Democratic side, too. You don't have a uh, you don't have a structure for elections in Texas that would allow for what happens in a place like Louisiana, where you can have a, quote, pro-life Democrat win the governor's office, because in Texas, a, quote, pro-life Democrat could never get through the primary. Yeah. Right. I mean, Andrew White, who said he was running for governor years a few years back, and he he made the mistake of saying, I'm personally pro-life. Right. And that Democrats were not having that. So on both sides, you have these purity tests. And I think on the on the Democratic side right now, uh, you have purity tests that are a little more about their ideology. And on the Republican side, you have purity tests that are a little more about uh, whether you're aligned with former President Trump and the issues that he embraces, primarily this idea that the election was stolen from him. One other thing that is sort of a uh, litmus test for uh, some of the Republican party, not all, not in Texas, but certainly I think nationally, it's more of a litmus test. This idea of school vouchers. I've covered this for about 20 years in Texas, and it's one of the most fascinating things. Um, It it is uh, just maddening to certain people, in the conservative movement, that Texas is the biggest state, the biggest red state, that does not have any kind of a school voucher program. Am I being, you know, am I on target with that? Yeah, correct. Not
1: even that, but even the school choice programs for charter schools and uh, other public schools is really far behind what you see in other Republican Mm -hmm. states. So all school choice type of programs are all way below where you would expect Texas Mm -hmm. to be if you're a Republican looking at the rest of the map.
0: Right. So this is another reason that I think Abbott is keeping his powder dry, uh, you know, as far as national politics, but also keeping his options open, if you will, for whether he would want to run for president. I think there are some folks within his inner circle who are pushing him toward, uh, toward a run for the presidency. I'm not making a prediction of that. I'm just saying that he's keeping his options open, which by the way, that's what a good politician does, right? They say, I have the best job in the world. But they don't say you never say never. Right. Yeah. If you asked him today, are you running for president? He'd probably say some version of what I just said. Um, So Abbott on school vouchers has sort of been all over the map. And it you know, we mentioned third rails in Texas. This is a big one. Right. I mean, vouchers in Texas. Democrats are certainly not for vouchers. There are Democrats who are cool with. Charter schools, for sure, uh, including the public education chairman in the Texas House is one of the biggest pro-charter Democrats that there is, Harold Dutton from uh, Houston. Um, But vouchers, Democrats would be a hell no on that. You know who else is a hell no on that is rural Republicans, Republicans from out in the country. They do not like this at all. They are pro what we call traditional public education in Texas, um, and for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is in small towns in Texas. And you've pointed this out, Jeremy, Friday night football is king. And I know yeah. it sounds a little cynical to say it that way, but I'll say, I'll say it in a positive way. Um, for a lot of small towns, including the small town that I grew up uh, just outside of where I went to, to school, it's the best thing in the community. Like all the yeah. community events happen there, right? It's not just the Friday night football. It's everything. It's you know, It's any introduction that the kids have to the arts. It's the music program. It's the fact that they have a library. A lot, of, a lot of towns, the only library in town is the one at the school, right? I mean, think about the things that the school does for the community and the fact that in a lot of small towns, it's also the largest employer. That's not insignificant. So rural, rural Republicans are a hell no on that. One note, by the way, I grew up in rural Texas. I still have problems saying the word rural. It doesn't roll off your tongue, but rural, 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 rural. <laughs> I'm the only thing you're listening to right now, rural. <laughs> um, so so <clears throat> so here, so here's the thing, all, the people I just said, they're all hell knows. You know who else is a hell no? The charter school folks, because they've started to realize that if you have a voucher program, that can be competition for what they're doing, yeah. right? That is starting to emerge as well. And I've seen this uh, talked about in a lot of the public ed discussions over the last few months. And you know who else is against it? Private schools, who don't want tax dollars to flow to the private schools because at some point their fear is that if you have tax dollars going to the private school, then at some point the government's going to say, well, here are the things that you have to teach. If you had a pie graph and you put all of those groups on the pie graph, Jeremy, and you added one more group, the final group would be the tiniest slice of the graph and that group. Would be people who think you should use tax dollars to teach the Bible to children. Yep. Almost no one agrees with that in this state. Almost no, there are some, but almost no one. One of my friends who is on the board of a, he would say it's a right wing private school in Texas, he has said, We don't want tax dollars coming into our institution because at some point the government's going to tell us what to teach the kids. It defeats the whole purpose <laughs> for them having a private school. So, Here's what Abbott has done. You remember earlier in the year, in January, he unveiled what he called, uh, what was it, a um, – a, uh, it was, it was a, a, a it was sort of a bill of rights for, for parents. Yeah, right? parental bill of, of national, rights. Part yeah. of a national movement, right? You, you wrote yeah. about that?
1: Yeah, it's the parental bill of rights, and it's patterned uh, a lot after what Ron DeSantis is doing in mm-hmm. Florida. I know. It's a shock. Abbott and DeSantis are now <laughs> constantly cheating off each other's papers and just You're be right. ready for that for the next two years.
0: What a uh, what a reference there! Cheating off their papers uh, in a public ed discussion. So, Abbott put that out there, and you remember on the day that he was going to give the speech in Louisville, that was that was the unveiling of this parental bill of rights. Public education advocates were kind of freaked out because they thought, in the hours leading up to it, they kind of thought that he was going to come out with a full throated uh, endorsement of a school voucher program. Now that didn't happen. If you look at his proposal, which is in a lot of ways, it's pretty vague, right? He's for some form of uh, school choice. In the past, before that, Abbott had also said that any school choice bill that makes its way to his desk is something that he will sign. And he's saying that fully knowing that he he knows what that pie graph that I described looks like, right? In Texas, it's really hard to get a school voucher bill through the Texas legislature. It would maybe even be harder to to do that than a marijuana legalization bill. I'm going to go yeah, out of my way and say I, that. Yeah, I, absolutely. I totally agree Okay, so I don't know if... I mean, it may be close with casinos. I don't know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> as far as getting it through the building, I know the popularity is different throughout the state. So Abbott unveiled that, and right after he unveiled it, I was told by several rural Republicans who are in the Texas House that he privately assured them that he is not for a school voucher program. He's not going to push a school voucher bill in the 2023 session of the legislature. There's a guy named Charles Foster Johnson, who is the executive director of something called pastors for children. And they are also against school vouchers. And Johnson was speaking at an event in Dallas this week. And he basically said what I just said, his sources, Are saying the same thing my sources are saying which is he had some of these rural republicans go to him call him up and say listen the governor has assured us that we are not going to see a school voucher bill in 2023 even the
3: governor's backing off and when he came as soon as he went up there to north fort worth and trucked out that parent choice thing you know my phone was lighting up from rural house members pastor take a breath just got off the phone with the governor He ain't going to push a voucher bill. Well, we'll see about that.
0: Now, even though it's pretty clear from the comments you just heard that what Johnson is saying is he's not saying that he talked to the governor. Right. You didn't hear him say that, did you? No, definitely not. (laughs) All right. I was just making sure it hit my ear the same way it hit your ear. Um, He didn't say that he talked to the governor. He's saying that he talked to those Republicans in the House who have talked to the governor and those republicans were told by the governor that he's not for a voucher bill. And I by the way, I checked with Johnson just to be sure. And I said, "Is that what you were saying? That, that he, you're not saying you talked to the governor, are you?" And he said, "No, I didn't talk to the governor." And I never claimed that I did. And you just heard the audio. So, here was the governor's response to that video which was tweeted out by a pro voucher guy. The governor responded at almost one in the morning at 1240 a.m. And he said on Twitter, he said, quote, number one, I don't know who this person, Charles Foster Johnson is. Number two, I never talked to this person. And number three, he and I did not speak as he claims, close quote. So you'll notice that in the governor's response, he still doesn't say whether he's in favor of a school voucher program. He didn't go anywhere close to that. Michael Quinn Sullivan who I am loath to quote, but I will quote him. He is the longtime spokesman of a pro voucher mega donor from Midland named Tim Dunn. Michael Quinn Sullivan tweeted at the governor and said, quote, I cannot help but notice Gov Abbott uh, that uh, you, one, misrepresent what was said in the posted video and two, do not deny the essential claim. The main point, Sullivan tweeted. Is this governor abbott will you or won't you push for school choice slash voucher legislation in the 2023 session i would say that the governor does not want to answer this question at all because if he's keeping the options open for a presidential run then he can't really answer the question he sort of has the cover of the fact that the texas legislature is in all likelihood never going to send him a school voucher bill but he can do other things right in fact In the Republican primary right now, and you mentioned what it might be like to see Abbott and Cruz going up against each other, Abbott in the GOP runoffs is endorsing Texas House candidates who are pro-public ed, right? Pro-public education. Ted Cruz is on the opposite side of that, endorsing some candidates who are for school choice and school vouchers. So you could already see some split between these people, uh, Jeremy, who used to work together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you can see already in the general election, you know, Beto O'Rourke is wrapping himself around teachers as much as he can right now. Almost every one of his speeches, there's a commonality where he, you know, talks about how much he loves public school teachers and how great they've been to his own kids, you know. So, and he's kind of really like working that. So at some point, Greg Abbott's going to be confronted with some sort of issue about are you going to be as supportive of public schools or are you going to start taking money and shifting it away? into some sort of private voucher program. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, and so he's going to get more and more pressure on this issue. You know, it's like, just because the primary is over doesn't mean that issue is over for him. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, he's going to have to, you know, answer questions, you know, as we get into October and November for sure about just kind of exactly how deep his, you know, relationship is with public education and how long will he support it.
0: Yeah, and, you know, uh, public education advocates who listened to his speech in Louisville earlier this year, they characterized his speech this way. They said that basically he said that uh, public education in Texas is great and then went on to say everything he didn't like about it and and be sort of threatening to teachers. It goes right back to this whole thing about grooming. Part of that parental bill of rights has to do with teachers who would be accused and then found to have shown obscene materials. To children that they could, lose, number one, be fired and lose their job, stripped of their credentials, uh, you know, take to have, have their uh, retirement benefits taken away, um, and be put on a do not hire list, right? So there is some uh, animosity toward public education coming from the governor right now. We'll keep an eye on all this because, uh, of course, it's one of those, as I said, third rail issues in Texas. That feels like the exact. Right amount of show. We're glad to be back with you, and we know that you missed us last week. And so, believe me, we'll be back next week, and the week after that, and the week after that, as all of this unfolds. As you said, Jeremy, on a previous show, you just got to listen to the show every week so you really know what's going on. if, If you miss if you miss a show, you miss a lot, as they say. If you enjoy it, you should subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. Rate the show. Leave a review, whether it's good or bad, we can take it. Leave it right there in your preferred app. Uh, subscribe at quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com, and we will see you next week.